How about three things you'd recommend people not to do when they come into this space? Don't buy what people with a lot of followers on Twitter tell you to buy. Yet watch out for influencers because their agendas are 99% of the time hidden. Don't FOMO in. If you see a project pumping, there is a reason it's pumping and there's a reason you don't know about it. You are going to become the exit liquidity. <laughs> and then third thing to watch out for is if an Azuki holder tells you that Zagabond is nice and pure, don't fucking <laughs> listen to them. Never again. <laughs>
Yeah, rather not get rug pulled. Um, but let me ask you, why why Magic Eden for OpenSea? Ah, just because I, I enjoy how they engage with the community and, you know, that they actually push the envelope forward as to what a marketplace can do rather than OpenSea just raking in millions and millions and millions and kind of sitting on their ass with it and not doing too much. Um, that said, you know, I, I totally transact like 99.9% on OpenSea. Yeah. You're actually the second person in a row. We just started asking people that. And uh, Champ, we just interviewed, he'll be, he'll, his episode will probably be out by the time this one's out. And he also said the same thing. He's like, dude, you know, Magic Eden. And I think Magic Eden's doing a really good job kind of getting the uh, love and support of actual Web3 people. And I think that's what's going to make them really get that edge and, and win long term, especially with the stuff they're doing. But, um, Stone, talk to me, bro. What made you want to start Root Troop? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, obviously, for people tuning in, and uh, we'll kind of let it flow from there. For sure, man. Um, I'll give you kind of the, the brief the brief story, but it's still, like, decently long, um, which is got into the NFT space back in fall of 2020. Um, also produced and DJ house music, not so much anymore just because I'm fully in the space, but... That was why I entered initially was I was seeing some colleagues in the industry come in and make huge bags basically by minting and selling their audio visuals that they were making for promo anyway. So <clears throat> that caught my eye, came into the space, tried to do that, quickly realized there wasn't much of a market for someone who wasn't, you know, super high tier in the industry uh, to come in and make a bang. So during that time, um, was just researching heavily, you know, looking at all the different platforms. I thought NFTs were just art and collectibles at the time. And then all of a sudden I got wrapped into the PFP side of things, the DGEN side of things, the investment, the utility. And I was like, oh, this is really intriguing. Um, so yeah, just kind of stuck in the space for a bit. This was like early 2021. Um, started, you know, finding some good flips, uh, bringing those flips to the timeline, kind of positioned myself as an alpha caller. It's like funny to say that now, like having a company and a whole, you know, team behind me, like to say I was an alpha caller, just whatever, but it was what it was at the time. Um, and was able to build up a, a decently, uh, large platform over the next few months and built up a community around me. Um, and got together with a bunch of builders, started networking a ton and, you know, getting in contact with devs, project managers, people who were just innovating like crazy. Um, and we decided to launch a Discord uh, just to house all of the people that we had built up in our community on Twitter. And so we launched a Discord. It was just called the Stone Placeholder Discord for like three months. Um, and we had basically like 2,500 people in there were very, very hungry to be building in Web3. And so at that same time, I started doing some project launch advisement with my team uh, to where we were doing like full scale advisement. I would come in and help them with their marketing wow. and branding. Uh, my old project manager would come in and help them with their roadmap development. Our dev would create their smart contracts or audit their smart contracts if necessary. Our Discord dev would build out their Discord, pretty much full scale. And so every single person that we were working with, um, you know, whether they were just a, a bootstrap startup founder or they were a money backed, uh, you know, VC founder, um, you know, they all needed at least one person on their team, whether it was a discord mod, a solidity dev, a community manager, they didn't know where the hell to find those people. And on the other side of the coin, we had 2,500 people in our discord who were like, 
yeah, I love this space. I want to build, I want to work in this space. And they didn't know where to find the opportunities. So we just started manually pairing people up. Um, we were literally bringing opportunities into our server, interviewing candidates from our server. And mind you, there was no token at the time. This is like October of last year. Um, it was just mm -hmm. kind of a free service we were providing to our community. We'd interview them, we'd train them, we would even work with them on these teams for a week or two, and then we'd leave them and have them, you know, be solidified in these full-time positions. And after about a dozen of those, we pretty much quickly exhausted our, you know, our time and our resources to be able to say, okay, we're going to spend this much time and handhold the process this much. So we noticed that there wasn't really a place for, you know, employers and talent to congregate in Web3 with a focus in Web3 mm -hmm. jobs. And so that's when we started the Root Troop Bounty Hub, which was basically finding the most Web3 job opportunities as possible, bringing them into our server, that then graduated into a token gated job board on our site. Um, but that was kind of just something to get us by. Uh, after we started doing that for a couple months, we had this idea. And when I say we, I mean me and my business partner, Corey, he is the CTO of Rue Labs. We started talking about, hey, you know, there's a lot of fraud that's occurring in these transactions with employers and talent in the space especially because anonymity is so huge. People are lying on their resumes. People are posting jobs that don't actually exist. They have no authority to post for. And so we looked a step further and realized that this was actually an issue in the world, not just Web3, right? 33% of Americans admit to lying on their resumes. 34% of employers actually fact check those resumes. What's that lead to? 57% turnover rates last year. Super cost and labor wow. intensive, right? And so we got together and we were like, similar to how NFTs provide proof of ownership, you know, the blockchain tells you that's your board ape, you can price it at what you want, you can sell it when you want. Can we do that with a job marketplace? And so we started exploring that and found out that yes, indeed, we can make an on chain job marketplace that basically provides proof of experience, proof of job history, proof of skills, capabilities. And on the other side for an employee who's looking for work, it provides proof that the employer actually works for the company they say they are listing jobs for. So that's been in development all year. We're very, very close to pushing out our V1. The Root Troop Bounty Hub been in existence that whole time. We've gotten almost 150 community members web three jobs. And yeah, that's a little bit about the start and where we're at now. Yeah, so I think it's really cool how you have wow, a- that is awesome job board for you know crypto i think that's so important i mean i'll be honest that's kind of how i started working you know for seed phrase and being on this podcast was through a uh, job listing on by DeFi edge but you know this is obviously not like uh on chain that was just a simple website so you guys are doing it a little bit differently so let me ask you though i mean so there's a lot of like you said what 30 to 50 percent like people are just faking their resumes creating false information not being truthful how do you determine what projects or companies to be listed on your site? Like, has there been a project that you listed that you kind of, they kind of backfired or you kind of regret having on, or, you know, how, how do you kind of vet people? Yeah. And so before I answer that, let me, let me again, kind of differentiate the root troop bounty hub is the job board that we've been using all year, the on-chain job marketplace. That's going to provide proof of that. all of those things I just said, that's not quite out yet. So we haven't actually experienced it in action. Um, in terms of the Web3 job board, 
you know, in the beginning, we were vetting projects. We were jumping on calls with them, making sure they were doxxed, making sure that their plans sounded legit. We would even offer them feedback on their roadmaps or their pay scales. Um, but, you know, after 20, 30 opportunities rolled in, again, it just became way too time intensive. So our thing with the Web3 job board is we're not vetting these opportunities. We educate the community on questions they should be asking during these interviews and making sure that they're receiving the appropriate pay. That said, do your own research. We're all about bringing the most opportunities as possible to you. Past that, you know, you need to figure it out on your own. Yeah, yeah. Bro, this is honestly, it's, 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 this is such a niche category that's a big problem that needs to be solved. And like the way you guys are approaching it is honestly like fascinating, right? Because now I'm like thinking about Thank it, you. That like you just saying like, oh, wow. Like when you see the data and you're like, that's a lot of turnover, right? Like companies are spending millions of dollars. Like when you add that up, if not trillions of dollars, hiring the wrong people, getting the wrong experience, the wrong training material. I'm like, wow, this is actually solving the real world problem. So props to you guys on that. Let me ask you this, right? So you might not have the answer for this now, but from what you guys have done with Root Troop so far and what you've noticed, right, between putting people together, because that's, that's essentially what you guys have done, right, up to date is like put people in the right place, whether or not in some shape or form. What do you see are the most highly demanded skill sets that are needed in Web3 now? And then how do you see that kind of adapting and growing, let's say, over the next few years? For sure. Uh, well, developers, first and foremost, are, are in highest demand. Um, there was some study that went out that said like less than a thousand developers were, were making up multi-billion dollar revenue uh, in 2021 or 2020, I believe it was. And I, I'm pretty sure it's still in line today. Um, what wow. we see, I would say about 70% of the opportunities coming through the Root Root Bounty Hub are for developers, whether it's Solidity or Web or Discord. Uh, you know, Python is a, a big mm -hmm. skill to have in the space. There was a real focus on marketing when we first launched. People were really looking for community managers and, you know, marketing managers and, you know, people who could step in and just launch their projects. Now the space is so saturated with that, that, you yeah. know, marketing people are receiving. Everybody's less pay. a marketer. Right. Everybody and their mom is a marketer after they've been in the space for six months. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely a focus on developers. Um, there is heavy demand for artists and ironically that is our least filled position. Um, which is like, I, I always get into it with people about, you know, the point of NFTs and whether it's art or whether it's utility and, you know, people die on the hill that it's for art. Meanwhile, we are posting so many opportunities for artists and they're just sitting there. Um, yeah. I mean, basically every single project you see in this space needs an artist in some capacity, right? Whether they're just commissioned to make the initial art or they stay on board as a graphic designer, pumping out marketing assets, you know, that is a necessity. Um, past that, you know, those are, those are the two main roles we see, um, for sure. Uh, but we really see everything. And I think that's a big misconception of web three is that it's only for developers, even though we mainly see jobs for developers, we're seeing for, you know, a uh, lot of, a lot of moderators, uh, you know, lawyers, accountants, people need, uh, spaces hosts, they need 
gaming hosts for the tournaments they're they're putting on for their communities there's really roles for every single person in the space and so moving forward you know i would i would expect that more developers are actually going to come into this space once they realize mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. they can be making um and i i think you know once the tech is pushed out in a way that makes sense to the general public right once more products like what we're building reach the masses and kind of gain that adoption I foresee more developers stepping in and kind of leaving their traditional dev jobs to work on Solidity, work on smart contracts, work on blockchain tech. Hell yeah. Do you guys ever see yourselves being in a position where you're doing more than just connecting a recruiter and a, somebody who's looking for a position and like training people or going all in on like, you know, a specific trait in Web3? Or you kind of just want to be like, like the LinkedIn, let's say, right? Kind of like, of, hey, let's connect these high quality candidates that we get with recruiters that are looking for it. And obviously we make our cut. Like what's kind of the business model for you guys long term? Yeah, we're we're mainly focused on this proof of experience concept um, mm -hmm. and really just providing qualified applicants to employers who are searching. Um, there was something that we toyed around with for a while, which was an escrow service, um, mm -hmm. you know, because that's another huge issue. Uh, specifically in Web3, though, and I, I should give a little bit more context here to say that we see our flagship product as something that will disrupt the industry that is currently led by Web2 giants, such as Indeed, Glassdoor, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Monster, mm -hmm. Upwork. Um, so we're not just siloing ourselves to Web3. That said, there is a huge problem in this space where people are looking for kind of founding team members or people to come on to their projects without pay, uh, with the hope of pay after Mint. And we've seen several people uh, land jobs through the Root Troop Bounty Hub, work for those projects for months, and then come back to us and be like, hey, those motherfuckers never paid us. Uh, so what can we do? We're like, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. And so we discussed an escrow service for a while, but ultimately decided we don't want the liability of having an escrow service on our platform. Uh, should there be a hack that's, you know, worst possible scenario. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we are strategically partnering with other projects who are handling other fields. We are specializing nice. in the proof of experience and building out this flagship product that will revolutionize the job market. We could partner with someone building out an escrow service. We can partner with educational platforms providing credentials that are in the form of SBTs and then can be displayed on our platform. Um, so yeah, we're, we're staying in line with, you know, kind of proof of experience, but bringing in, uh, third parties to make it kind of a, a full suite. Now, do you think going forward, you know, you're all being transparent, you're trying to connect people and have that kind of almost face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, do you think going forward that, you know, future projects and, you know, different, uh, blockchains or their founders are needed to be docs. That's just going to be common, a uh, common theme going forward. That just, that's just going to be the standard in terms of uh, business. Do you think that's just how it's going to be or. Unfortunately, no, I, I hope I like wish my whole team has been doxxed from the first day. That was very important to all of us. Um, and every single person we hire from now on will be doxxed. Um, that said, you know, I think we are the loud minority in Web3. Uh, you know, in Web2, everybody's doxxed. This, this isn't even a question, right? But in Web3, anonymity is kind of what this space was built on. 
And I think it's really hard to detach the anonymity foundation from uh, Web3 now, right? So unfortunately, no, I don't think it will move towards that. I think there are still plenty of smart and good people that are anonymous that will, you know, strengthen that side of the argument. That said, I'm totally a Docs Maxi. Yeah, definitely. And, that, and that's kind of where I, yeah, I, 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 I think the same. Yeah. I get discouraged about this space because, you know, you're talking about, you talked about how these Web2 developers, you know, the money's definitely more appealing to make that transition to Web3. However, if there's lack of people being Docs and they don't know who they're get, uh, working for, like you mentioned, people that came back and they never got paid. So it's like you need to have that reassurance aspect. And I think, you know, that's kind of the only way. Uh, not only way, but one of the big ways that Web3 will become prevalent is, you know, if there's just more transparency in the aspect that people are docs, because, right? The blockchain is all, all public ledger. You see every single transaction. You might not know who's owning what wallet, but it's still out there. So there's still that level of transparency. But I still think that in order for this space to actually take that proper step forward, people will need to be docs and expose their face and have their actual names out there and be a true face to the name. And that's just my opinion. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you for the most part, but let me let me um, plug in something here, um, which is, again, to kind of speak to the innovation that is occurring in this space and does give an up to some of the anonymous creators. Um, we recently partnered up with this project called Assure DeFi. It's not an NFT project. It is an actual product uh, that was built by an anonymous person in the space. Uh, to basically provide KYC while preserving yeah. anonymity for founders. And so what Assure DeFi does is they will run you as a founder, as person in charge of treasury, whatever your role is on the team, they will jump on an interview with you. It's like a two or three session uh, process. They will get your passport, they'll get your ID, they'll get your face, they'll get you speaking, they'll get your date of birth, they'll get all, you know, the really important information that could be used to, you know, lock you up should you do something uh, malicious in the space. And then they'll essentially send you uh, assured by assured DeFi uh, NFT um, to show that you have been KYC, even if you are anonymous. So the founder of that is anonymous, which, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. It was kind of funny being on the calls and having my face and passport out. Meanwhile, I was talking to someone with a logo and not showing mm -hmm. their face. Um, but, you know, that's a step we took for the community, because even though my face is out there, even though my name is out there and, you know, I might not be the best example because I'm super fucking doxxed. Like everything about me is out there. I've been using the same Twitter for 10 years, same Instagram for 10 years. Um, that said, there are plenty of founders in this space who show their name and face who have rugged and yeah. have zero repercussions. And the reason for that is because one, like most people just don't care enough. And two, it's very timely, uh, time intensive to, you know, go after these people. And most people don't have the resources or know how to properly go after them. So what Assure DeFi does is they've actually connected with law enforcement in several different countries. And they've got a direct line and a process in place to where if somebody who has been KYC'd via their platform, uh, rugs or you know scams or does something malicious, um, they have a process in place for the end user to really just simply say like, hey, this person did this and here's my experience, here's my proof. You guys handle the rest, you take it up the ladder. 
And so I think that's a really important tool and something we are looking to integrate into our job marketplace to say, okay, you know, these founders are verified through our platform, sure. But now a step further, they've also got this KYC by assured uh, DeFi tag on their profile. You can feel extra fucking safe. Yeah, nice. I, like that. I like that. I want to take a step back, Stone. So obviously you don't wake up and you're like, hey, let me launch an NFT project, right? Like we were talking a little bit off camera, you know, D1 athlete. So there's some type of commitment, right? Long jeopardy, understanding what hard work is to get to that point. So walk me through, you know, what was the year before you got into NFTs like and what made you want to get into the space and be like, hey, I want to be a builder after I just made some money. For sure. Um, I had a very unique experience in the stepping into being a founder. That said, I think it aligns with the year I had prior to coming into the space. Um, I was working in inside sales and business development for a couple different educational technology firms. And I ended up quitting my last job um, well before, you know, starting to make a buck in the NFT space because one, I was killing it and I had saved up enough. I you know, was crushing commissions um, and, and quotas and getting that commission. And two, I just, I realized I fucking hate working for people. Um, you know, I was, I was doing everything. I was, you know, the top performer in my role um, and I was capped at a certain point. Meanwhile, my higher ups were just kind of sitting on their asses, you know, raking in bags and, not really contributing, not really taking feedback, not really listening to anything that I had ideas for. And I think I've always been a creator and like a, a thought leader at the very least to try and find new ways around things. And when I get stiff armed and, and like not, you know, welcome to share ideas and, and feedback that could push us forward, you know, it's, it's very unmotivating to me, demotivating rather. Um, so I'd actually left my job and like, this will make sense later on with the job initiative. Why? Like it, it does make sense ties in. Um, but so got into NFT space for the reasons I was telling you earlier about, you know, coming in from music, seeing some colleagues in the industry, make a bag. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I am always transparent about this. Like got into the space to make money initially. Of course. Is that what I ended up staying in the space for? Absolutely not. Like, being a founder and, and launching tech products is, is not the way to make money in the short term, long term. Fuck yeah. Like we should be golden. That said, uh, you know, the, the idea of why I stayed in the space definitely changed like seven or eight months into it. Um, because I started intertwining with communities. I started jumping into discords and really immersing myself, my, myself into these projects. And I, again, was offering feedback, I was offering ideas, proposals, and, you know, marketing uh, kind of campaigns, and none of them were really being taken. Um, so at a certain point, I told you guys how I uh, positioned myself as an alpha caller. Myself yeah. and a couple people found this project that was minting for super, super cheap. And I'm not going to name names because everybody in my community knows they'll, they'll just kind of fill in the lines here. Um, and we ended up minting the project out. And then we realized that, hey, the Discord only has 70 people and they're not writing any announcements. And oh shit, the Twitter only has 85 followers and they haven't said anything in six hours about how we just degened and minted this project out. Uh, that's not good, given that we called this on Twitter, our whole community just bought in and you know we were heavily invested. And so I reached out to the project's page, like no clue who they were, undoxed. Um, I just sent them a message, I was like, 
hey, you know, your project just sold out and we've got, you know, X, Y, and Z who just bought in and like big names in the space and you guys aren't saying anything. What's good? And they're like, oh, well, it's pretty late over here. It was like 3 p.m. my time in, in California. And they're like, oh, it's uh -huh. pretty late. We're on the other side of the world. Like going to go to bed now. We'll, we'll say something tomorrow. And I was like, um, well, you know, we all just bought in. So I'm wondering like, would, would you mind if like I took over your socials for the night? Like I'll just kind of lead the community and keep the train pumping overnight. And like for better or worse, like looking back, it's so stupid, but you know, good on them. Um, they gave me the Twitter account after like three wow. messages. They gave me wow. admin in their discord after like three messages. And what happened next was like once in a blue moon, we went viral in the space. Um, every big influencer, every big DJ athlete was buying in. They were tweeting about it. They were then jumping in our discord, interacting with the community. We were screenshotting that screen recording it, posting it on Twitter, memeing the shit out of them. And it was just this great feedback loop of, you know, people buying in, us taking advantage, us marketing it, and more people buying in, posting about it. It's just very infectious, right? We yeah. took the project from 0.01 to 0.2 overnight um, and did like 250 point oh one volume. to 0.2, 20x yeah, we overnight. Did, we 20x'd overnight. Only in Web3. Um, <laughs> yeah, only in Web3. And just like to jump to the end, I actually lost so much money there. Never made like. Back to what we were talking about earlier. Would you rather take profits or get run? Fuck knows. Ah, uh, fuck. Uh, so yeah, we we went viral. Like we did 250 ETH overnight. I wasn't on the team. I just volunteered to do this. But the next morning, yeah. they woke up and there we jumped on a call, and uh, you know it ended up being a girl and her boyfriend who were in charge of the project, and. Um, they're like, yeah, thank you for your efforts. We want to give you one ETH and yeah, like we appreciate it. And I was like, hmm. One so ETH. we just sold we just sold out your project and uh, you know did another two hundred fifty E on secondary. So like, <laughs> any chance you can give me two and keep me on as the community manager for the next two weeks because like I fucking love what we just did here and like I yeah. am addicted to this community we just built. Like we pushed like 12 announcements overnight. We hired people overnight to like help with certain things. It's crazy. And so they brought me on at two ETH for the next two weeks. Uh, I ended up hiring a bunch of people, uh, unpaid mind you, uh, because they wouldn't allocate any funds for this. Of course. Uh, we built out their whole roadmap. We, uh, we revamped their website. Um, they had no roadmap, mind you. This was just an artist essentially. Um, and she thought she was just minting art to the blockchain. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was very novice. Um, long story short, a bunch of red flags popped up uh, along the lines of, you know, them not doxing to me properly, uh, them not wanting to sign a contract to keep me on board longer. Like after the two weeks, they said, yeah, we would love to keep you on as a CM and we accept your rate. I was like, great. Should I have legal send over docs or should you? And they're like, oh, well, we're not signing any any documentation. We're not signing any contracts. It's like, well, I'm not going to enter into an agreement and you know spend 18 hours a day marketing your project if you're not going to sign Literally. a contract and give me some security. And so that was kind of the, the final nail in the coffin uh, after like five or six red flags that occurred over the, the week or two I was there. Um, and so I ended up leaving the project, you know, and I posted something on Twitter and I said, you know, like to the whole community, here's exactly what happened. Here's exactly why I'm leaving. 
And what happened as a result was pretty much everybody in my, like myself included, got burned because they had no plans. They didn't want to initiate our roadmap that we built for them. And they were just saying like, fuck it, it's just art. You guys bought on your own accord and that's that. It wouldn't pay any of the people I hired. And so at that point, that's when we skip back to, oh, we've got this community of like 2,000, 2,500 people. Uh, let's just put a Discord out there and house them. And so what we did was uh, we marketed Rue Troop as the mystery animals for about three months. We knew what we were going to do and what our theme was uh, by day three, but we didn't tell the community that. We were just no name. It was the Stone Placeholder Discord for those three months. And we ended up launching in January. But what we did was we gave a one-to-one uh, token exchange for all of those people in the last project. So mm. if you were holding one of those tokens, you got one root troop for free. If you were right. holding 75 of those tokens, you got 75 root troop NFTs for free, which somebody literally did claim 75 roots for free. Um, also, everybody who joined that Discord on the first day got one for free by default three months later if they were still wow. there. So we ended up giving out uh, about a thousand free ruse out of the 5,500 collection. Um, but yeah, so my my intention to your point is like the idea to become a founder in the space is, uh, you know, a big decision and a, a lot of commitment. And I did not enter this space to launch an NFT project uh, or a company, mind you. I not think I would be running a tech company at this point with 17 people on my team. Um, it was just, you know, it, it snowballed. I, I saw a need, I saw an opportunity, and I saw the ability that my team had to fill those needs and, and you know, take those opportunities. So, you know, I, I think being a voice and trying to be a net positive on the space is something I've always tried to do. And stepping into the founder role and being able to give back to those thousand people who lost money to initiate, you know, you know, kind of like recoup into this project, as well as push the space forward with a product that it needs, um, you know, is kind of a no brainer. So you, you just kind of take the opportunity to run with it. That's the moral of the story there. Dude, I absolutely love that. <laughs> so crazy. It's it's funny because well, it's not funny. Well, it's it's fun to hear, right? Because all that started with the simple purpose of like, hey, I like this project. I'm going to shill it, right? I'm going to make a few bucks. And then you know what? I want to do more. Let me just shoot out a DM. And then from a DM, you go to a community manager. From a community manager, you go to building a huge network. From building a huge network, you go into launching a company. From launching a company, you've employed 17 people. You've helped who knows how many people make, right? So it's just like such a short timeline coincidental you start off with good intentions and you end up exactly where you should be somewhere on top with good things being built or just good things coming to you so i absolutely love that story man that's props to you and uh i can't wait to put this podcast out this is cool this is really cool yeah, cheers man <laughs> for sure um, you, you said uh, you had alex a, you want to go or should i keep going no i, I had a question uh, uh you know, it was about your uh, the, the total size of your collection. And you said 5,500. Is there a method behind that? Because, you know, we have people that have, you know, sometimes 1,000 or 10,000 is typically the norm. But uh, why 5,500? Yep. Um, so a little bit more context, right? We decided that supply and we also minted at 0.042 ETH. Um, we decided that back in October of last year, launched in January. 
And if you remember what projects were typically doing around that time, it was 10K at anywhere 10K, from 0.07 to 0.1, right? And so our whole thing was first and foremost, how do we give back to our community? And mm -hmm. how do we expand on this community that we've built? And the way we looked at it was, let's break down what we want to build and let's see what costs are going to go into that. And then let's price this thing as cheap as humanly possible to get our goals accomplished. And let's make it half the size of most collections. One, to highlight the fact that tree kangaroos are super fucking endangered. There's only 2,500 left in the world. And we literally have 5,500 tree kangaroo NFTs in our collection. So more than in the world exists. Uh, and two, you know, what can we manage, right? We were a first time team, first time founders. And, you know, we didn't necessarily want to manage 5,000 holders off the bat with a 10,000 collection. Also, we wanted to ensure that this project would get off the ground. And so, again, it goes back to how do we provide value for our community that we've built up? If the project doesn't even get off the ground, then all of those free NFTs that we gave them are null. They're negligible. But if we do get it off the ground, which we heavily increase our chances of doing so by cutting our supply in half, then we're able to accomplish our goals easier. So it was really, you know, a, a methodical approach to say, what type of funding do we need to build the products we want to build? And what is an accessible price and supply to the rest of the community? Yeah, and I want to touch up on the tree kangaroo. You know, I, I'm obviously fairly familiar with uh, kangaroos, but I did, you know, when I was looking into your project, tree kangaroos and what they look like, you know, and how they're so endangered. But uh, you said you moved to New Zealand. So you moved to that part of the world. And I know Australia has kangaroos. So is uh, tree kangaroos native to New Zealand? No. Um, so there's actually not kangaroos or tree kangaroos in New Zealand. Again, if it was it, it, it was like I was coming to this region, but it was I'm coming to Auckland because my best friend's here. Like I live with him. Yeah, it's flat. Um, <laughs> that said, it's a very quick hop over the pond to Australia. Um, so we chose tree kangaroos, one, because we wanted to do an animal that hadn't been done in the space before. And two, we wanted to bake in some philanthropic aspect to the project. We knew we were going to be making X amount of money from the mint and we wanted to give back to our community one, but we also wanted to put on for the environment and you know, wildlife. And so we looked at, okay, animal that hasn't been done before animal that's endangered doesn't really help because there's a very high lack of creativity in this space. People are just doing derivative after derivative. Um, and at that point, uh, back in fall of last year, the second biggest NFT market was Australia and New Zealand. That was before the anime meta and before Asia kind of took over as number one or number two markets behind uh, North America. And we were spending a lot of time with Australian Auss Aussies and uh, Kiwis in a lot of different projects. So you're like, okay, why don't we market it to this part of the world where we already have a big network and we know there is a scene. Um, so yeah, we, we started scanning all sorts of nature documentaries, reading into endangered species lists, and we found the tree kangaroo and I, I found it and I was like, I've never heard of this thing. I, like, I had to double check to see if I was being just like duped on online to say that this was a real creature. I took it over to my former co-founder and he was like, yeah, I've never heard of this thing either. And we look it up 
and we start looking into them, super endangered, 2,500 left in the world. They live in the last protected cloud forest, which is the Daintree Rainforest in Queensland, Australia. They live about 60 to 80 meters high up in the canopy. And their defense mechanism is literally just jump off of the trees and they don't get hurt at all. They're so resilient. It's crazy. Little like one foot mini kangaroos. Um, so we were really fascinated by them and, and ran with it. And we ended up donating, I think it was 29,000 USD um, to the Daintree Rainforest, uh, to Rainforest Rescue, um, to buy back the biggest plot of land there that now connects uh, all the other plots that they had bought back. So now there's, for the first time ever, an unbroken corridor from the lowest point of elevation in the Daintree wow. up to the highest point of elevation in the Daintree, meaning that tree kangaroos have way more space to roam without you know fear of being poached or their habitats being deforested, um, as well as the joeys, the baby tree roos, uh, have areas to go and expand on their own territory. So, you know, I moved out here, one, for the reason I told you, best friends out here and just needed to get out of the States for a bit, but also a big part of our community is here and we will be throwing some events in Australia, nice. one of which is focused around the Daintree Rainforest and oh, the yeah. organization that we worked with. And that's a little bit helpful awesome. for you guys. That's awesome. By the time it'll come out, you know what I'm saying? We'll see the floor rocket too. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope would so. You, you ever, you I seen you tweet today. You said the thing. Let me, Sorry, go, let me go here, Alex. Uh, I seen you tweet today. You, just, you said the thing about me is when it's the right thing to do, I'll say what other emperors won't, regardless of how it affects some people's perceptions of integrity over popularity. I'm sure that came from somewhere or something that just happened or is happening with you. And I'd love to know more about it. <laughs> guy, guy wants the alpha and the drama. Just want, and wants the drama. all of it out. We got to, we got to get it out, man. Look, man, I'm, I'm not going to name names on this because you can go and read through tweets to read between the lines. But mm -hmm. yeah, there was, there was a project that, my company was connected with recently that uh, made some decisions that negatively impacted uh, myself, our project treasury, uh, majority of our community's holdings. And, you know, they're just being treated like nothing's wrong. And they're treating themselves like a victim on Twitter when people are calling out their bullshit. And so, you know, there was a whole string of tweets I got roped into last night about it. And I woke up to that person taking some shots at me and my company and my community. And, you know, the basis of it was they're just offended by a little bit of truth on the timeline. So, you know, again, not going to name names, but feel free to kind of scroll <laughs> through my tweets there. Um, but that's kind of been my MO forever. Um, I, I, I grew up in a house like my dad's an attorney. And so grew up debating, grew up, grew up being, you know, uh, encouraged to speak my mind when I'm in the right and, you know, stick up for, you know, people who might not have the voice to stick up for themselves or platform to stick up for themselves. And that's notoriously gotten me into trouble. Uh, but, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll stay on that path. I think it, it allows me to sleep better at night. So. I can definitely relate. I can definitely relate for, for people who don't have like much of an idea, because again, like the simple fact for us is like on this podcast, we're trying to, well, in general, right. The goal is to get more people into web three one way or another. So from your experience and obviously like what you've noticed over the last year, you know, we've all been here in this web three world. 
What would you say are like three things you recommend to people or advice you would give to anybody who would want to start, you know, somewhere in Web3, kind of like you, you know, just to make money or they want to come in and build? What do you kind of have to say there? Yeah. One is to break down any expectations in your head um, because what you expect to do in this space and what you'll end up doing is likely to be completely different and how you expect to move up ladders typically is completely different than how you're going to do it here. Um, so yeah, just kind of getting rid of any expectations and starting like a, a fresh baby in this ecosystem mm -hmm. will be to your benefit because everything here is so different. There are a lot of, yeah. there are a lot of similarities and a lot of things do transfer over, but the thing is you have to understand how they translate over before they can translate over. So really just, humbling yourself, being hum uh, like having some humility to come in and ask questions and network and realize that there are people who know things that you don't know. Um, the second would be to provide value before asking for value, for sure. Um, I think that is the single most important thing to uh, the trajectory that I had in the space yep. was just coming in and finding ways that I could plug in my skills and capabilities to existing projects, even if they didn't ask for it, or even if they weren't gonna pay me for it. It was, okay, if I just continue, I'm consistent about providing value, eventually that value will come back. And that wasn't even the end goal, it was just, I like this space so much, it's enjoyable and it's beneficial to me and my skills to be providing that value and to mm -hmm. iterate on what I can and can't do. Um, the third would be, uh squeaky wheel gets the grease um, and, and what i mean by that is you can come into this space you can be humble you can take in a lot of information and then you can provide a lot of value from steps one and two but you're not going to get the fucking opportunity if you don't ask for it and yep. that goes back to what we were saying earlier about just reaching out in a dm you have to do that because it, it, and I was saying this before being a founder in this space, and now I say it even more being a founder in the space because I have so many DMs at every given moment, right? And if people expect an opportunity to come to them, meanwhile, they're not making themselves known and getting in front of me in the proper channels, then they're never going to get that opportunity. So mm -hmm. you really have to, it's not just about understanding what you can and can't do and doing it. It's also about putting your best foot forward and asking for the opportunity to actually provide value on a, on a higher scale. I love that. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Now, let me ask you this since Alex is quiet here, how about three things you would recommend to people not to do when they come into this space? <laughs> uh, don't buy what people with a lot of followers on Twitter tell you to buy. Uh, yeah, watch out for influencers because their agendas are 99% of the time hidden. Um, don't FOMO in. If you see a project pumping, there is a reason it's pumping and there's a reason you don't know about it. You are going to become the exit liquidity. Hmm. And then third thing to watch out for is if an Azuki holder tells you that Zagabond is nice and pure, don't fucking <laughs> listen to them ever again. <laughs> now, oh, is that, that, that example based on personal experience or that was just a worldly example just to give uh, constructive advice? Was that a personal experience that you had with Azuki? Well, Zagabond is a, Zagabond is a proven rugger. So I heard he's you know, raising right now. 
Is that true? He is racing. I, it is. It is unfucking believable that VCs will give okay, that man okay. money. Okay. Okay. What? If, what if he does pull that off, though? Then what? He will. What if, he will because it, it'll happen. The space is full of what the fucks. Every is, every single look, day, I'm looking crazy. at something. And I'm gonna start with this. Obviously, he's rug projects before, but I do understand the concepts, especially how he's gonna pitch it. Look, the way he's gonna pitch it to VCs is: Look, I've done one, two, three. I've been a professional loser to actually get one winner, right? Oh, I guess I get specific it. Specific lesson: I really understand, but yeah, it, it's definitely tough. Like, and it just kind of goes to show: like, the space is ruthless on both ends of the spectrum. Right, like you could be ultra good and you can't get the recognition you want, and you could do everything straight and be fair, and you know do things the right way and not get the recognition you want. And then you know there's people like Zagabon. Now that you pulled that conversation out, that don't have the best history, but they've made a lot of good things for themselves and a lot of people. Like he's made a lot yeah. of people money. Right. right? Yes. I mean, I mean, Azuki is pulled he has a lot of money from people too. <laughs> I mean, Azuki has done well. It has his niche. It's like, you know, the anime art aspect. I mean, there are the peels there, and it has a, has a really good community. I get it. But he rugged, through, what, three projects? And it's not like he just said, okay, I really tried my best, and it just we just fell short. He actually flat out rugged it. And there's actually the on-chain evidence to, to show that, that he just simply said, I don't want to do this. I'm going to take the easy way out, and I'm dipping. You know, he didn't put the effort in. He didn't just say, you know what, I'm going down with yeah. this shit. And, and that's and that's what I think I personally have a problem with, and I think that's what a lot of people also have a problem with, is that the fact that he just, you know, it was convenient for him to just pull the plug, say, I'm, I'm out, and then he just so happened to hit it big with Azuki. How do you know that this guy actually didn't actually have the intention of saying, I'm going to pull the plug on Azuki? Maybe he didn't expect Azuki to just absolutely take off like it did, and now he's, like, sitting in position, okay, I actually – Oh, he didn't. Actually, no, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but like the, the funny thing is, though, the art is actually is 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 cool, and I will and I will say that the art is cool, and you know that's the thing. So it's like it could have the perception that there was the attempt to, to make it solid, but you know it's uh yeah, like you said, it's like the the space is full of what the fucks, uh, you know, stuff doesn't make sense. And I, I want to do talk about how I do want to mention one thing: nothing is a lock in this space. I mean, remember during the internet bubble, there was plenty of companies that had a twenty billion dollar market cap that went under. So I bring up the point: yeah, board apes are fantastic. Yeah. You know, they could very well be the next big thing, next big metaverse. Very possible they could be the next big thing. However, bigger giants have fallen. So nothing is a lock, and, that, and that's one thing I want to just make clear. It surprises yeah, me, though, because I just pulled up Azuki to look at the floor price. They're sitting at pretty much 10 ETH while you see, like, Doodles and Clone X sitting at 6 and 7. So yeah, but they, were at, they show- were at 40, right? Weren't they at 40 before the uh, Zagabond uh, confession article came out? Azuki, they did. They started at, like, a mini boron. Yeah. I remember they, they literally started, like, a mini boron at the time when, when that pump happened. So, I mean, while they have made a lot of people money, they've also lost a shitload of people money from that confession coming out. So, you know, I I, I put out a tweet yesterday or the day before on this. It was like, Azuki community is actually fire. Art's fire. But they're always going to have that shadow overcast over them. So, like, they shouldn't, like, the community members, the holders, shouldn't get offended when people talk about Zagabond. That should just be something that they take on the take on the shoulder yeah, as you know history, they, so. they enter the project that's part of it 
Like if you yeah. are, if you're okay supporting that and giving royalties to that, then by all means. But you're gonna have to be yeah. the brunt of some jokes, absolutely. <laughs> no, what I was saying was it, it's uh, and let me get your thoughts on this tone. Is every project attracts a different type of consumer, right? And holder, depending on their marketing and how they go about putting that, you know, messaging the story the brand, so on and so forth. Have you noticed a specific type of persona or a specific audience where like, this is the type of ideal demographic that I see in the space that would, I would always want to bet on? Yeah, my community, like no, no bullshit, no, no bullshit, right? Like this is, this is one of the, the top pieces of feedback for us is that yeah. our community never has any FUD. They are so welcoming. They're so genuine. People have formed real relationships, real friendships. Like people have moved across the country to live with each other after wow. you know, meeting each other in Root Troop. And it's because they just have pure intentions. They're here to build. They're here to support builders. And they're here to do whatever they can to make a positive impact on other people. Whether they profit or not, they're not really, you know, that's not front of their mind. They're actually here for the tech and for what this space should be about rather than the pump and dub aspect, the, you know, just quick flip, the degen aspect. They get all of that out in other projects, but they come to Root Troop and they're just real fucking people. So, you know, that's ideal to me. Um, I really like the community that the plague has built up as well. Um, that's run by pawns. Um, and I think it's because he and I have very similar ethos and we, we marketed our projects very similarly and we appealed to similar demographics it was let's make this space better using the tech that the space is built on let's not extract value from it let's provide value and have that be kind of the overarching theme in every single thing we do and so their whole initiative is developing tools to out scammers and and track ruggers and you know, make sure that people are aware of, you know, all the bad things that are going on so they can make moves accordingly. And all of their holders are super in line with that mission. You jump on Twitter and you mention plague or ask about the plague, they're all going to show up and tell you wow. what the fuck the plague is about. And they're going to do it respectfully. And that's something that I think is very uh, similar to how Root Troop is, is you don't see them just shilling on, on Twitter saying like, Hey, join Root Troop, best project ever, going to the fucking moon, like art sick, community sick. Mm -hmm. Like, no, they pull up under posts and they're giving real examples of how Root Troop has affected them and how it's affected the space and how it will continue to affect the world. I think that's the difference. So, yeah, two positive communities there for sure. I love that. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're glad to have you and your community tune in, hopefully, to this and uh, notice what we got. And I'm not going to lie, we're actually in need of somebody to help us out on Twitter because we're doing a pretty good bad job at it so if anybody in the root true community is watching this or not hopefully the word gets out there we are hiring and we are I paying mean, for sure <laughs> let's 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 get you guys a bounty on the root true bounty hub yeah 100 it's free, right free to this. post we're gonna set that up first thing right oh, after yeah. this podcast we're definitely gonna do that um i was just gonna ask something oh i was talking to rev right ironically our dev and i was like because we're trying to build pretty much a learn to earn in a sense for C phrase daily, uh, because we just want to change the way people consume content. I feel like as a viewer or as a subscriber 
or as somebody who opens up our emails every day, for example, you should be getting more than the information or you should be incentivized to use that information and do something more with it, right? Whether it's taking action, learning, sharing, so on and so forth. So I was having this conversation with Rev, which is a developer. And I'm like, dude, how do we make this tech or Web3 not feel like Web3? And I'm sure that's the same question you guys are asking yourselves as well. Because in order to scale to the masses, right, it's like very hard for the average person. Like if I go to explain my dad, like, yo, you can only send Ethereum or buy this NFT if you have a MetaMask wallet on this chain, this amount of money, gas, this, that, third, right? So what do you kind of see yourself, I guess, or do you guys have an answer for that? Like, how do we make Web3 not feel like Web3 to onboard more people from Web2? That's the question. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's two parts of it. And I think the first part is developing products that have real use cases outside of Web3 and that solve problems that are very obvious to the masses. Um, and you know, again, I'll just kind of like, it's not to shill or not to be biased. Yeah, I'll yeah. just use the example that I know best, which is what we're building, right? We have defined a real problem in the market, not the web three mm -hmm. market, the actual yeah. market that yes. encompasses the majority of the, the of humanity. Um, and, and we have talked to many people in the positions that this problem affects, and we have posed a solution that makes sense to them. We're using blockchain tech in a very complex way, but the solution to the problem is dumbed down to the point where you'd be silly not to understand why this mm -hmm. is beneficial, right? And so I think that's the first thing is not just trying to reinvent the wheel, but to build better mousetraps, right? I don't think building a, a Web3 Twitter or a Web3, you know, this or that is gonna pop off just because it uses blockchain tech yeah. and you have essentially built the same fucking thing that doesn't you know, mm -hmm. solve any of the issues that exist. But if you use the technology to you know, solve a real issue, then it makes sense. The second part of it is you still have to wrap the experience. So similar to how you wrap the explanation, you wrap the pitch and you dumb it down into layman's terms, you have to wrap the actual user experience, right? You can't have a user expected to onboard themselves and figure out where to get a crypto wallet and then how to fund that and then learn about gas fees on their own all in this short period of time where you're trying to sell them something or sell them a service sell them a product right they're going to tune out people have a short attention span so one side of it is just building products that matter the second is putting them out in a way that people can quickly adopt so things like blockchain transactions and wallet creation you can wrap that. I mean, people can use a, a, a email and password and mm -hmm. they can use a credit card and they'll mm -hmm. still be able to interact with the blockchain if the developers have done their due diligence to wrap that experience properly. Yeah. And you can provide quick tutorial videos and dumb it down and make the process really efficient for them. Or you could just leave them out in the dark and they're probably not going to use your product because they don't get it. So yeah. definitely two sides to it. I'm excited. I'm excited to see, you know, what companies and what projects come out of this uh, year going into next year and, and how that I feel like crypto is going to be so much more different 12 months from now than what it is now. And we're going to have like things and companies and projects and, and narratives that 
we can't even imagine right now. And I'm just like waiting on those to all bubble up and like start adding up and see where we end up in a year from now. And five and 10, it's exciting. Alex, hit it, bro. I know I've been not talking too much. <laughs> I got <laughs> one last you. question. It's kind of off the wall. I mean, it's kind of, it's related, but a little bit out there. Uh, just because I've been just itching to ask it, but now I just, I'm just going to do it. Uh, would you ever own or purchase a uh, tree kangaroo, have it like your actual real-life mascot for your uh, project? <laughs> for the community. Um, <laughs> well, there there is this idea of just like buying one to sponsor, essentially. Um, yeah. Kind of like you can do with most animals, right? But I don't think you're actually allowed to have them as pets. Um, I looked into it briefly months ago, <laughs> but like I haven't done extensive research on it. But given that there's only 2,500 left in the world, I have to imagine there's a pretty tight grip around what you can and can't do with them. And having them as pets is probably, you know, far down on the on the no can do list. That said, if I could, then fuck yeah, those things are so cool. <laughs> and like, there's this one, there's this one lady um, who runs, I think it's called Tree Forest Rescue or Tree Kangaroo Rescue. Um, her name's Carol or Karen something. Karen, yeah, I think it's Karen um anyway irrelevant she runs this tree kangaroo rescue in in queensland right and her, it's basically out of her house and so at any point she's got like 20 tree kangaroos and like joey's just hopping all around the place and i think that's so cool um so yeah if i could have one then hell yeah i'd get my dog a little tree kangaroo uh tree kangaroo <laughs> friend and see the way you're describing i might have one of myself as well Morgan, they're like so they're much a foot for tall, out, foot and a half long tail, like little buggers. They hop around. They're so cool. <laughs> I bet you they'll attract some Web three girls too. <laughs> hey, always, always a plus. Hey, Stone, bro, thank you so much for hopping on. This was a great episode. If you guys are still listening in, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Check out our free daily newsletter. Check out rootroop.com and go ahead and give Morgan a follow at Morgan Stone on Twitter. We'll tag him right below. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.